Download, a podcast from Relay FM recorded Thursday, September 21st, 2017. This is episode 22, All These Spies. Welcome to Download, a weekly look at the most interesting stories in the world of technology and other stuff you care about. I'm Jason Snell, your host. This week, I'm joined by two wonderful guests, editor-in-chief of The Wirecutter, Jackie Chang. Welcome back. Hello. Hi, Jason. Thanks for having me. And uh, your colleague and my former colleague from Macworld, Dan Frakes, a senior editor at The Wirecutter, is also here. Hi. Hi, glad to be here. I could say the wire cutter, the sweet home, or is it just no. wire cutter from the New York Times without the definite article? And we'll get to that later in the show. I want to I want to ask about uh, that and talk about product reviews, the state <laughs> of product reviews in the on the internet in general. But before we do that, let's get to some of the other uh, interesting stories this week, as chosen by me and by, of course, download producer Mr. Stephen Hackett, who does not work at the wire cutter. Shockingly, <laughs> hi, Stephen. <laughs> It kind of feels like we could have like a Relay FM wire cutter like street fight. It's like two on two. I, I was going to say pretty... trivia contest, but street fight, well, sure. Okay. I mean, I just watched Anchorman. That's very fresh in my mind. Ah, know? that's right. On a rooftop somewhere. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, this week, uh, top number one, uh, the iPhone 8 reviews are in uh, along with uh, actually like the Apple TV and the Apple Watch Series 3 reviews. iOS 11 shipped this week. So we're going to start with an Apple topic uh, before, you know, and, and I know people out there are always like wow more apple topics like well this is a high season for apple stuff so we're going to talk about it a little bit and i was wondering if um if either of you have a, a kind of an initial take if you've had a chance to to look at any of the new apple stuff and um and when that's over maybe we'll talk a little bit about who should care that there's new apple stuff because that seems like a very bit of practical advice like i look to for from the uh, from the wire cutter so if either of you played with any of the new apple stuff um, I so I have not, except that um, I have played with a kind of a fake version of the iPhone uh, 10 Ooh. that one of the case makers sent us um, to you know help test their cases early. But and that's the only thing that I've really played with. And I will say the the fake iPhone 10 feels very real. Is it, <laughs> I is think, it a like a 3D printed iPhone 10? No, it's like a you know it's a it's it's like a. F- a faux prototype, you know, like it, it really looks and feels like it's uh, got a glass front and back and it, it a bunch of, we were passing it around here at the office because um, one of our writers, Nick Guy, uh, got it to do case testing. And um, everybody kind of at first when they picked it up, they were like, is this real? And he's like, no. Uh, so I, <laughs> wow. I don't know. But I, I think Dan has really gotten his hands on the actual things. I'm, I'm, it's less exciting now, Dan, because now we've got <laughs> iPhone 10 prototype exists. But know, go, right? go, know, go right? ahead. <laughs> talk about your new Apple products. Yeah, yeah it's fine. Yeah. The, um, you know, the, I just got to say those, those uh, fake iPhones are actually pretty incredible. All these the the case makers they have all these spies around around China literally who give them dimensions and and sample plastic ones and stuff and then they actually pay somebody to go out and make like one that looks and feels exactly like the real thing so we've actually gotten a few of these over the years to test cases because it's cheaper than paying you know 800 bucks for a phone and they're pretty cool i kind of wish i had some of my own just to like you know leave out on the in my car <laughs> um but i uh yeah i got i have the the new i the 8 and the 8 plus and the um new apple watch um uh, 
like you, Jason, I was at a briefing this week yes. and uh, got to talk to Apple about them and play with them a little bit. Yeah. So what, what's uh, what's your take? Anything particular jump out at you in the early going about the new the new stuff? It's it's very much an Apple year after year thing, right? Every year the phones get picked, they get a little faster, the cameras get a little better, the features get a little better. Um, I mean, it's if you want the latest and greatest, it's a clear upgrade over last year, but it's. If you have last year's phone, you probably don't. You know, it's like I feel like I'm saying the same thing every year, but it's that's Apple, nice. right? That's how Apple does their upgrades. So, um, it's it's very it's so far. I mean, I've only had it for a day, right? And it's um, but it it I like I like it. And uh, you know, actually, I think the thing that's most noticeable about it, just when you look at it, is just the fact that they because of the wireless charging thing, they've got the glass back on it. It just looks like a very different phone, even though it's the same exact shape and size as last year's. Yeah, I have a. Uh, jet black iPhone seven and the, mm-hmm. it, it, it feels just like that. Um, yeah. Except now all of the models are like that. And it's because the jet black seven had that weird shiny exterior that was much more tacky than, uh, than the, uh, the aluminum re- standard anodized ones were. And now all of the phones are like that, which I think yeah. is good if you, especially if you don't want to use a case. So this is my my actual question. I keep seeing people say that, and you know, I am a person who drops my phone like, you know, outrageous amounts. And I, I keep people say, or I keep seeing people say this thing about tackiness. Is that really true? Like, do you really think that? Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, 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 I okay. Yeah. I definitely i I never put a case on my iPhone until the iPhone six, and I, I then I wore it for two years. I had a case on, and uh, when I got the Jet Black Seven, I took the case off. And I mean, again, if you're somebody who's prone to dropping an iPhone, put it in a case for <laughs> yeah. God's sake, put it in a case. But for me, it was like there's just it, there's more friction there. I mean, people keep saying grippiness, which is totally not a word, but people keep using it, and I guess we all understand what it means. Well, yeah, and it is. I mean, smooth glass, you, it's easier to grip than like that that matte aluminum, you know, slippery matte aluminum. But the thing I'm most interested in is actually that Apple told me the, the the glass on the back of the 8 and the 8 Plus are the exact same glass that they use to cover the screen on the front, um, which means that it's actually designed not to scratch, unlike the black of my – I don't know about your jet black iPhone, Jason, but the back of my jet black iPhone is basically like – it's a, it's a, it's got a nice patina is yes. the way that a, someone might say it. It's well loved. Um, in, in my, in my words, it's full of scratches. So, um, <laughs> I'm actually looking at, uh, the glass and thinking this is actually nice because it will probably scratch a lot less, although it may crack a lot more <laughs> easily. Yeah. Uh, that's basically my, my huge fear if I were to, to take, take the step and buy one. <laughs> Yeah, I mean glass. It's that uh, if you if you butter the bread on both sides, then whichever way you drop it, it'll be dropping butter side down. It's like glass on both sides. That's the real danger. Is that, and they say it's the most rugged glass ever. Okay, but still, I know it's uh, it's it's a worry. It looks great. It feel it, it definitely feels different in the hand, and it you can tell unless you've got a case on it that it's an iPhone eight because it is a different look than the six and seven provided for sure the apple's probably like we showed you all these things and what you notice is the back and the side <laughs> um the 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 colorways are very different like last year they had gold and rose gold and it feels like this year they're like we don't need so many colors why don't we just mix those two together and then see what comes out because that's really what the 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 they call it gold now it looks like to me i don't know but if, if that's your impression too jason but to me um, if I hold a gold one and a rose gold up in between, it really looks like the two are merged together. It's a little more 
coppery almost. Yeah, and I am um, uh, discerning a specific uh, uh, shading of red is not a thing that I'm capable of. But, <laughs> uh, my, but my daughter looked at the rose gold or the gold iPhone 8 and said, that's rose gold, dude. That was actually what she said to me. <laughs> and I said, I said, no, it's not as rosy as the rose gold is. I know that. But um, but it's got a little it's a it's a it's definitely a redder gold than the old standard gold. But that's it. One gold. One gold for all now. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, they have eight million phones now. So you got to reduce the colors, I guess. Yeah. to Keep things uh, <laughs> consistent. There's a lot of iPhones being sold right now. Yes. So, uh, practical advice. I think I, I look to to you at the wire cutter as as people who try to get uh, over the kind of hype cycle and just explain in in more normal terms about like what does this mean for you as a buyer. And Dan alluded to it earlier. I you know, am I right in saying it's probably a mistake for everybody to uh, to connect iphone eight new iphone reviews i'll put it this way new iphone reviews to the differences from last year's model um because my impression is that it's almost never true that if you have last year's model you need this year's model Mm -hmm. that apple is really uh build you know i'm sure there are a lot of nerds who are very excited and will buy it every year and great you know i a lot of them listen to this show it's fantastic but most people i would think keep their phone two or three years and so they're really thinking about like where you know how much is this better than the six or the or the 6s yeah, I mean, to be honest, you know, for putting aside wire cutter, like this would have always been my advice. Like I have always basically said what you just said, which is like generally for most people, if you have last year's, like the you know the whatever is like the opposite year, the next year is usually not going to be enough to justify it, unless you're you know dying for specific features. Like if you're dying specifically for wireless charging, then you know maybe you will consider that, and that's your thing. Um, but I think that, yeah, I think that most of our friends and family and, you know, people who would call us for advice, like, you would probably tell them if they did buy something last year, you'd probably tell them not to not to get something till next year. I don't know. That's what I would do. Yeah, I, I saw a study a few weeks ago saying that people who buy phones in this price range, meaning, you know, like the premium phone, tend to keep their phones for two to three years. And so that's your average person. And I think it makes sense. If you've got a phone that's an iPhone 7 from last year, it's still a really good phone. It's better than 98% of phones out there. I don't know. And um, you don't really need to upgrade. I, I would say that the the two exceptions to that, we were just talking about this in the Wirecutter Slack yesterday. Um, if you're on an iPhone upgrade program, either Apple's or your carrier's, it's kind of a no-brainer to upgrade because you're already paying basically the same as if you got a new phone. It's just that you know your 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 program will be extended by a year. But You've, you join that program because you want to upgrade. And so then it, you know, so it makes more sense. Uh, and then just if you're somebody whose prime, whose primary camera is your phone and you take lots of photos and it's a really big part of your life, like my wife is a person in this category, uh, you know, it might make sense to upgrade yearly because that's the biggest, I would say the biggest everyday improvement on these phones from year over year is just that the cameras keep getting better and they get new features like like portrait mode and portrait lighting and things that you'll actually use on a daily basis. Um, but I think that's a really small subset of the actual people who have these phones. I think like Jackie said, most people 
just don't need to upgrade every year. All right, and something you mentioned there, Dan, the uh, I should mention people focus on megapixels a lot, and the, it's actually the same number of megapixels in the camera as last year, but the sensor's bigger, and there's a whole lot of uh, image processing going on. So uh, you can pretty much count on Apple doing something to make the camera better every year. That seems to be something that they just they always will make the camera better. They know how important the camera is to the to the product. You know, I think that's true. I think a lot of people, again, regular people, if there's anything that people do sometimes care about, it's cameras, mostly because it's, uh, you know, people use them for their family events and, you know, normal life things. Um, even camera stuff, you know, again, as Dan just alluded to, I think certain people will be more itchy to upgrade than others. But um, that that certainly is, you know, especially when you go out and just like talk to regular people. I mean, often cameras are the main thing that they mention when they talk about smartphones. So, I mean, that is something that I think Apple and every other smartphone maker pretty much will will improve for infinity. Uh, <laughs> yeah, forever, till we all die. Now, the most avid uh, phone watchers and iPhone watchers are probably waiting for the iPhone 10, which is going to be coming out in November. Um, and there's a, a big question of like, well, how well is the iPhone 8 going to sell? Um, I can tell you that when we talk about this buying cycle, like I think people who have a 6 or a 6S are going to look at the 8 and and think that it's a great upgrade and not necessarily be you know, obsessed about the iPhone 10 hanging out there because they're they're somebody who is fine using a phone for two or three years and then getting a new phone. And I think that's what my wife is going to do. I think she's got a six and I think the eight is in her future. And that's a I think that's a perfectly reasonable buying cycle. So I don't I don't know about uh, how the 10 affects iPhone, the how we think about the iPhone eight. But um, what do you think, Jackie? Is this this is the first time Apple's had this other phone that's like hanging out there? that's better. I know. And it kind of throws off like my typical sort of watching of the patterns a little bit. Um, it, it is kind of a, a wild card. Um, you know, f- for me personally, and just speaking for just myself, um, you know, I'm not normally like this, but like f- I am totally going to get an iPhone 10, mostly because I do want to kind of see how all these new features work. I want to see how facial recognition works, even though I think it's evil, <laughs> uh, you know, things like that. So I, I think that there are, you know, certainly there's a lot of people who are probably just like us on this podcast and we're interested in those kinds of things. Um, and it is cool. Uh, it's obviously very expensive, right? So like, again, you know, maybe most people aren't going to be that into it. Um, but Apple also kind of knows, I think that, you know, there's certain demographics they can appeal to with different kinds of products. And I guess they're going to take that risk. You know, the, the old Apple, maybe Apple of five to eight years ago might have really tried to pare down the number of models. And, uh, you know, apparently this year that's not part of the strategy. So, um, you know, it'll. I, I think once they start revealing sales numbers, that'll be interesting to see. Yeah, they they seem to be backordered, but that just that doesn't necessarily mean that there have been massive orders. It may mean that they, uh, you know, pulled back on how many they made, <laughs> thinking that there wouldn't be as many. We don't really know what the what the number's going to be. Um, Dan, what are your feelings about the iPhone 10 hanging over the iPhone 8? <laughs> I think that the, I think there's going to be some people who feel like they need, they they always want to have the best, the greatest. That will look at the 8 now and say, "Oh well, that's not even the best one. I, I I'm not going to buy that." But I think that most normal people, honestly, um, you know, ever since the the carriers stopped doing the two year subsidized you know phone prices, um, and people have had to pay the true cost of the phone, I think. Um, yeah, the iPhone's still selling well, but I think people stop and think a little more before they buy a phone. And there's something about a thousand dollar price 
point that's I think there's a psychological barrier for a lot of people like I might get the you know I know people who would have rather had the the six or plus or the seven plus and went with a smaller one just because they're like man that's yet another 150 bucks I got to pay or whatever so um I think that this is really an early adopter like cost is no object phone and I expect it to sell well among the people who are really you know just want the latest and greatest Apple has but I think normal people are not going to really line up for this phone. So I could be wrong, but I don't, I, I think it's going to be the eight still going to be the normal phone for most people. And this is just going to be, you know, I've got to have the coolest one. I don't know, we'll, we'll see. It, it feels like a lot of money for, I think most people. It also kind of feels like, I mean, and this is often the case with sort of bleeding edge stuff. I mean, it's, it's likely that they're, you know, using us, the public to sort of test mm-hmm. which features are going to be, you know, decently popular among people. So that's the other thing that, um, I think the, the skeptical side of me would then be like, well, maybe, you know, don't get it because everything will break. <laughs> um, but I, I think, you know, for me, the experience is interesting. And yeah, I mean, it is kind of like what, um, you know, people who like to stay on the edge of technology, people kind of have a better tolerance too for things not always working correctly. And we have the, you know, our perspective is very much those those people who are focused on the on the high high end. But we alluded earlier to Apple having a lot of phones, right? They're currently selling the SE, the 6S, the 6S Plus, the 7 and the 7 Plus, the 8 and the 8 Plus, and then the 10 is coming. And what that lets them do is have a huge price spread from the, the mm-hmm. SE all the way up to the iPhone 10. And the, the the reality is, although we kind of ignore that part of the market and be like, oh, that's boring, that's phones from two years ago, Apple does that because it works. And, you know, my wife having a 6, she might just say, let's just get the 6S and it'll be an upgrade for her or the 7 and it'll be way cheaper than the 8 or the 10. And, uh, you know, a lot of people think that way, even though tech nerds don't. A lot of people think that way. And it's been successful as a strategy for Apple to say, look, we you can buy the 6S. It's a pretty awesome phone, even though it's two years old. And they're not, I mean, they're not wrong. It, it is. And it's a pretty good deal when they cut the price in order to, um, in order to sell them down, down the market a little bit. What you're saying, Jason, makes sense from their point of view, Apple's point of view. Um, it makes it more difficult for consumers because we look on there and they're like, oh man, there's like so 14, many phones. 20 phone. Which one do I buy? But from Apple's point of view, especially as a company that's historically been criticized for not having lower price points or more offerings at different prices, for them, it's a no-brainer. They've already got them made out. There's clear delineations between them. They're like, hey, let's just keep selling them. Uh, but the the interesting thing for me, though, is that these are people look at price points like the actual price of the phone. They say, oh, that's a $649 phone and that's a $749 phone. But um, my impression is that most people who are buying these phones are still buying them on finance or or upgrade programs or, right. or some something that's spreading their costs out over two years. And when you look at the phones that way... It's even crazier because, uh, like the cheapest phones, like $15 a month. The most expensive one is about like $48 a month on Apple's upgrade program. But in between there, it's like 18, 18, 22, 24, 23, 30, you know. Um, and there's, there's literally like three or $4 difference in price between different models. And so, um, I think that makes it like i feel like apple needs to have the prices points because that way people look and say okay there's a hundred dollar difference but presenting it as how much you're going to actually pay for this per month is a much more realistic way of looking at it and when you do that 
it breaks down a little bit. It makes it easier for Apple to charge to to get more of your money, though. If you're like, oh, okay, yes. $4 a month more. Well, that's yeah. not that bad, even though over two years, that's uh, $80 or $90. So. Yeah, I, I mean... Uh- my assumption has always been that that's basically the case is that they keep all these around. I mean, you know, well, they keep all these around to have a, a zillion price points so that basically everybody feels comfortable coming in at some level. But then, you know, I, I guess the argument on the other side is that, you, you know, you're right. The six and six S like are not terrible phones. Like people can certainly use them. So, um, you know, uh, it's probably doing a favor for some people who do want to stay um, a little on the more affordable end. Um, I just tend to, I just think that Apple is kind of getting away from keeping things simple. So that's my main criticism. Yeah, yeah it is uh, adding the 10 and the 8 this year makes it a lot harder to look at that list of the last two phones also being sold. Because now there's four phone generations plus the SE uh, including the plus variations all together, it's a lot, right? I I'm I actually am a little surprised that they didn't drop the the two year old phone, but they didn't. So there we are. Yeah, I mean the SE just it makes sense because it's their small phone. I mean, yeah, it's the only option really. But but the like the six S for example, to go between us, if you're choosing between a six S and a seven, it's literally like three dollars a month is what it, is the difference in price, um, and over you know two years that's like oh that's a decent chunk but like you're paying a monthly bill on your cell phone that's probably at least 50 bucks right so to pay three dollars more to get a a noticeably better phone just seems like a no-brainer so we, we were talking about this um at Wirecutter yesterday in terms of how we're going to recommend models and we kind of came to the consensus that we probably weren't going to recommend the 6s even though it's there just because we don't think anyone should save three bucks a month for a year older phone yeah apple in the uh Apple Watch actually did do this where they introduced the Series 3, uh, kept the Series 1, and got rid of the Series 2. It was like, we're not going to make that mm-hmm. one anymore. And so now they're mm-hmm. in the case where they've got Series 1 and Series 3. That would be a- a- akin to saying, we're not going to sell the iPhone 7 anymore. You can get the 6S. It's great. Or you can get the 8. And I, I, you know that would be one way to simplify it. Or you could just get rid of the 6S and keep the 7. Mm-hmm. That would be the other way to do it. But they didn't mm-hmm. They didn't do that. They, they All phones are available. Get an iPhone 5. You can find it somewhere, probably. <laughs> Um, all right, we're going to uh, move on to the other side of the fence in terms of the smartphone world. But first, I want to tell you about our sponsor this week. Uh, this week's episode of Download brought to you by Pingdom. Start monitoring your websites and servers today at pingdom.com slash RelayFM. You'll get a 14-day trial. And when you enter the offer code download at checkout, you will get 30% off your first invoice. Pingdom is focused on making the web faster and more reliable for everyone who's got a site. I use it. They do this by offering powerful and easy-to-use tools and services. If you're a Pingdom user, monitoring the availability and performance of your server, database, or website is a breeze. They use more than 70 global test servers to emulate visits to your site, checking on its availability as often as every minute, and you get a warning when your site goes down, and I've gotten those occasionally, but rarely, and uh, it's very helpful because then I can talk to my sysadmin and say, um, something bad happened, and then we we work it out. Uh, These days, websites are also becoming more sophisticated, and there are interdependencies 
contact forms, e-commerce checkouts, login search functionality. They can all be in different places on different servers. Pingdom makes it possible to monitor the availability of all of those interactions. So it's not just your site is down, but it's that there's something wrong with your contact form or there's something wrong with your login system. It can be that granular. Stuff breaks on the internet all the time. It happens. Every month, Pingdom detects about 13 million outages, more than 400,000 outages every day. So whether you've got a small website or a giant corporate monster website, you need to monitor availability and performance. When Pingdom detects an outage, you are immediately alerted, which is exactly what you want. Check it out today. You'll be the first to know when your site is down. Pingdom.com slash RelayFM for that 14-day free trial. And the code is download to get 30% off your first invoice. Thank you to Pingdom for supporting download. All right. uh, Breaking news. Breaking news. Uh, Google bought a part of HTC's phone hardware business or maybe just some employees who had been uh, working on the HTC uh, project to build the Google Pixel, which is a Google-branded phone, but they work with HTC and HTC. It's a complicated thing. But this is another uh, suggestion, I think, that Google is serious about building its own phone hardware. It's been serious before and then kind of stepped away but it's sort of threatening to come back uh, by doing this by spending more than a billion dollars to hire 2,000 engineers from HTC uh, which is uh, the company that's working on the new uh, Google Pixel 2 which is coming out next month so uh, what I'm interested in your takes on what uh, Google is doing in terms of phone hardware because it sounds like they're serious again about it. But this is a, as Apple and Samsung have shown, this is a business that you know is hard to get into, and you have to put a huge investment into it. Um, so what's going on here? What what is what is Google doing? And is this is this a uh, is this good for? phone buyers that Google is doing it. Jackie, what do you think? Man, you know, I actually, I put a lot of thought into this from a lot of different angles. And to be totally honest, I am not totally sure. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, the obvious answer is that they're, you know, they're trying to create like a closer relationship with HTC. Um, you know, whether like, I think the details are kind of nebulous, you know, like, is it yeah. the employees? Is this, you know, what's going on here? But like, whatever the case, obviously, they're trying to make this effort where they're sort of at least half marrying these things a little bit closer so that they can work on the software that will work, you know, more closely with hardware. Whether that's good, um, I I really can't say, you know, in, in all honesty, like my initial reaction to seeing this was like, more like, like, what the hell is HTC doing? Like, are huh? they just yeah. giving up on life? I mean, what, what's happening there? So, I, you know, I think I think maybe for you, like, if you're into Android phones and you're into HTC phones, like, you know, maybe this is kind of interesting. Um, but I I don't know. It kind of seems like a, like a bad omen to me. <laughs> it feels more like a statement about HTC than it feels like a statement about Google to me. Um, the, uh, the people who are apparently were, were, it's kind of almost like an aqua hire, apparently like 2000 HTC engineers and design people are moving from HTC to Google, but they were already working with Google because they were all part of the pixel team. So, you know, for Google, it doesn't seem to make a huge difference. Um, although I, I have heard rumors that a lot of this is because Google wants those people in house because they're trying to expand like the artificial intelligence, um, Google voice, I mean, Google assistant, uh, across all their devices and they want to make sure the people working on that are not outside the company. So, you know, who knows, but it feels like they're just trying to, to shore up their, their phone expertise. Um, 
for the phones that were they were already making uh, with the same people. Um, but HTC, yeah, what Jackie said, it feels like, huh, your 2,000 people working on the best Android phone are now going to a different company. Yeah. I, it's, it's hard not to look at some of this as maybe a hedge against Samsung, just because Samsung is mm-hmm. so dominant when it comes to uh, Android phone sales and uh, and profits. And I... You know, Google has made false starts that, you know, they've done their own phones before and then they backed off. And then and then this seems like it's a recommitment. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. You're both right. It's sort of like, hmm, what does this what does this actually mean? But I do wonder if inside Google, they like they want to keep uh, they want to place some bets that are away from Samsung because the last thing they really want to be, I think, as much as they reap a benefit from Samsung building, getting Android in all these different places, it's like Google doesn't want doesn't want them to be the only game in town and they they want the they want the market to they want to help define what a high-end phone a good android phone looks like that's the whole point of the pixel and that it, that i think that implies that the galaxy line is not what google thinks the best mm-hmm. I, android mm-hmm. phone should be um and that's it's such a weird relationship but uh that google keeps trying to reassert itself but um but doing phone hardware is hard. I mean, if you look at Apple and Samsung, they are they are enormous companies that have put huge resources into this. And uh, Google seems to I don't know are they just dipping their toe into and out of the water again? It, it's it's hard to read on it. But because you know, again, if I were Google, I would hate to have to rely so much on Samsung as a, the defining uh, company for my my operating system. But they are. I mean, that's that's perfectly logical. And I think there's definitely a, a part of like a large part of that, which is, you know, one of their reasons. I, I think, yeah, I, you know, I think maybe the reason why um, some of us are kind of like, huh, is just because it, it, you know, on the Google side, you're right. Like, you know, are they dipping in their toe in again? And then it's kind of like, well, you know, what lessons are going to be different? Um, you know, what what are their plans? Uh, you know, I, I think I think deleveraging from Samsung certainly does kind of like make up a chunk of it. Um, and then also, frankly, you know, the, the talent acquisition is probably great for Google, regardless of what they're going to use those people for, whether they continue to, you know, work on what they're working on or if they get shifted to something else. Uh, I think Google certainly benefits there. Yeah, what I would like to see come out of it, and it probably won't, um, is cheaper, good Android phones. The, uh, the Pixel, as you mentioned earlier, is sort of like a reference phone for Android. It's the, it's what what Google thinks a good phone should be. And in fact, at Wirecutter, it's our top pick for Android phone if you you know have whatever budget you want. Um, but on the cheaper uh, Android phone side, a lot of these cheaper phones they're missing. Like, I mean, their their cameras aren't very good. There there's tons of crapware and bloatware and skins put on top. And um, and I think it's I think Google sees them a little bit as like hurting the Android brand that you can't get a good Android phone for less than, you know, 800 bucks, 600 bucks, whatever. And so it would be really cool if Google could say, here's our pixel. Here's the best Android you can get. But look, here's a $400 phone. that's still really good. Yeah. It's a, it's a, boy, Google, Google does interesting. Google does interesting and surprising things, by the way, uh, also breaking recently in the last uh, 24 hours as we recorded this is that Apple apparently has invested something between three and seven billion dollars in the buyout of Toshiba for its uh, for its flash memory product basically 
And uh, which which if you contrast that, it, it's another example of like, and Dell is in on that, and it's Bain Capital as the company that's putting it together. But Apple is rumored to have have perhaps even upped their stake to as high as seven billion dollars. Um, uh, hardware is hard, and placing bets on on supply and shipping at volume is hard. And Apple and Samsung are doing that. And you know, this is the challenge with Google: is is the Pixel? Are they going to invest a lot of money in the Pixel just to sort of like plant a flag, but not actually sell very many of them? That's uh, that's hard. So I, I'm not sure you can kind of be in the phone hardware game, but <laughs> maybe that's maybe you know Google's point here is just to plant the, that flag and say aspire to be this. I don't know. Um, they they do lots of mysterious things, and this is another one. But um, and they stop and they stop doing lots of mysterious things yeah, soon after. <laughs> it's true. I, I feel bad for HTC because HTC has made some really great phones. Like there there was a period in there where it was very clear that HTC was the company that was trying mm-hmm. to make yeah. phones at the quality of the iPhone. And I guess the conventional wisdom is that people who want that level of fit and finish and quality on the in on in terms of high end smartphone hardware. Um, are going to buy the iPhone, and it made it a hard sell for HTC to be in that market and compete against uh, Apple because you know they still just have Android, which is fine, but it's also not the integrated package that Apple can provide. Um, but I feel bad because like those were really good pieces of hardware, and I like to see good stuff succeed in the market. And that HTC has struggled is a shame because they've done great work. So Google hiring HTC's hardware engineers. That could be, you know, I, I, that could be encouraging. I, I, I'd hate to think that they're all going to be taken off of the, the phone hardware that they've been building and asked to build something different. But who knows, right? It's Google. <laughs> that's, that's a good way to end that. Uh, it's Google. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> Nobody knows but Google and they're not saying. Um, let's move on and talk a little bit about uh, Wirecutter stuff. But before we do that, I want to share with the listeners a story they may have missed, something that has flown under the radar perhaps and is worth mentioning. Uh, and Stephen Hackett uh, passed this on to me, which is – so thank you, Stephen Hackett um, – it, this is this is one of those questions about why do things exist and why are we all here, which is there's an iOS 11 app that uses ARKit. It's called Magic Sudoku, and it can solve a puzzle uh, by you pointing your camera at it. Um, you Literally, you just point your camera at it and it goes, here's the solution to this puzzle. Now... Um, why does this exist? I mean, as a cool tech demonstration, it sounds great, but it's like, this is like literally now you can point your phone at at any mystery in life and have it ruined. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks, computers. Yeah, I mean, why does that exist? And and you're right. Why do we all exist? Um, I you know I I think that is probably just a you know a demo. I guess Tech demo. Of, sure. Right. Um, I think that you know the AR kit stuff is interesting. I I will say I'm going to take this opportunity to actually say that I saw one AR kit thing that actually was really cool, and it was IKEA's app where you can kind of put the furniture in your house. That was the one cool thing that I saw. All the rest of them that I have seen in the last several days have basically been like that, like kind of gimmicky. I mean, sure, it's interesting, but 
yeah, like what are you supposed to do with that? The the best one I saw is actually helps you measure rooms, which I thought was pretty cool. As someone who's remodeled their home and measured lots of rooms, um, being able to just point your phone at it and say, this is roughly 15 feet is is actually something I would use. Yeah. I If the journey is the reward, by the way, <laughs> uh, don't download Magic Sudoku because it's, yeah. it's, all, it's not about the journey at all. It's about ruining the journey. So yeah, Aww. there's going to be a lot of nonsense AR stuff, but I think there will be some very cool things. It's just every Everybody is just throwing stuff at the wall now and seeing what sticks. Yeah. yeah. There, was a, there was an iPhone app released a year or two ago that if you point at a math problem, it will solve the math problem. And my kids, uh-huh. my kids were like, can I use that? I'm like, no, no, <laughs> you cannot use that. And they didn't understand why not. Even with math journey is the journey is the reward okay maybe not with math but otherwise all right let's talk about let's talk about the wire cutter since we have two uh people from the wire cutter here now first off there are some things changing um the the, it was announced that uh by jackie basically that uh, there's going to be a wire cutter for everything the sweet home which is which is a, a site that i've really loved that is is uh not as not about tech products per se it's all going to kind of get rolled in together it was it was you know it was all from the same people in certain you know to a certain extent in the same process but now it's all going to be wire cutter um at, at which which uh and you guys were were bought by the new york times not too long ago so uh so tell me what's coming up with with wire cutter how's that all going to work jackie you summed it up very well. Um, you know, in the past, uh, when the site was first started by Brian Lamb, um, you know, it was just the wire cutter. And then as they kind of started doing, you know, the Sweet Home was born out of what ultimately was just a category on wire cutter that started getting a little too fat. So they started doing a lot of kitchen stuff. And then one day they were like, oh, we have so much kitchen stuff. It's kind of overweight for the, the site. And they were like, oh, you know, to hell with it. We'll just start a new site. And so that was kind of the old strategy. Strategy. Um, but, you know, as you just said, we're part of the Times now. Um, we've been doing a lot of uh, user research and other things um, to sort of determine how we want to treat the sites moving forward. And um, we decided to retire both sites and kind of move forward with one site. And that's because we have, especially over the last few years, since um, I came in as editor-in-chief and we started covering a lot of different, a lot more topics than I think both sites typically would have covered, um, we have run into so many issues uh, where now, like a lot of our coverage could go on either site. And, you know, we get a lot of questions from readers who people saying that they have a hard time figuring out which site to even go to to look for certain things. And then even internally, it can sometimes be difficult for us to decide which site to post things on. Um, not just because there's some crossover, but like, you know, some, some people have certain ideas on like, uh, you know, gendered ideas on what should go on each site that kind of isn't always accurate. Um, sometimes people like sometimes the categories we're covering even just kind of tend to cross over. For example, we're having a weird issue right now where, um, you know, we cover home and garden stuff on Sweet Home, kind of traditional, and then we sort of cover smart home stuff on Wirecutter. But there is a lot of crossover now between smart home stuff and regular home stuff. Um, and we're trying to find, you know, the best way to really give people guidance on that. And it, it can be difficult on two sites. So um, we're doing that on one site and we're doing a lot more categories. So we're doing right now, we're doing like babies. We're doing pets. Um, we're about to start doing more and more furniture, which is something we've slowly started getting into. So um, people can definitely expect to see all that stuff um, on, on the new wire cutter uh, as, when we relaunch our site soon in October. Um, and yeah, we're just going to keep, I guess, generating like awesome stuff that we hope uh, people 
people read and like. And there's not the uh, there was some worry when when the Sweet Home brand was announced as being retired that people were like, oh no, I I rely on that stuff. And the the point is, it's not going away. It's just all going to be one giant site with all that stuff and more. Yes, exactly. Um, Sweet Home. I mean, we all love Sweet Home, right? Like I, oh, yeah. you know, even before I came to Wirecutter, you know, I was a huge Wirecutter and Sweet Home fan. You know, everybody is. So certainly, we're not making that stuff go away. Uh, we are definitely keeping all of that around. It's going to get migrated to the new wire cutter, uh, and everyone will be able to find all that stuff that they know and love and more. So what, what is the place? I mean, you, you, you both are working on product reviews as your job all the time now. And um, all of us have reviewed products for a long time in, uh, in our careers. And it's a uh, Product reviews are hard, and there are lots of complexities that are not necessarily apparent on the outside when you're on the inside. Um, and we live in a world with huge amounts of information and misinformation now in terms of products that are for sale. And I'm just kind of curious, philosophically, how, how do you approach uh, choosing good products in this in this modern era where there are so many products and there is so much uh, misinformation. I mean, what 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 role? Maybe I could phrase it this way: What role does a, a site like Wirecutter play in the process of of uh, of letting people find the product that's right for them? So I, I'm actually really curious to hear what Dan might say, but I'll, I'll give you my quick answer. Um, you know. I, we The thing that we say is that we are there to sort of help people cut out that time and stress that is often spent kind of doing a lot of research and, you know, verifying things and making sure the features are right for you, et cetera. Like we're, we do that, all that work, and then we present it all in, you know, like a huge amount of words um, so that you don't have to. So, you know, a lot of our readers, um, even though they may care about those details and people do kind of skim our articles to verify things, generally, uh, you know, we've earned the trust so that they, you know, they do trust that we are going to help them cut out that time and stress and they just kind of go with what we recommend. And that's hopefully, you know, we're not just doing it to, to, you know, give people something to buy. Like we're doing it to, to genuinely help people. We don't want anyone spending money unnecessarily. We don't want you buying crap that you're going to have to replace, you know, a week later anyway. Um, and, but you're right. It is difficult to review products. And that's the other thing. I think I, we have the unique opportunity that a lot of readers don't have, which is frankly just to try a lot of different stuff at once. Um, a lot of people can't, you know, buy like 12 Bluetooth speakers and then toss them all in a pool and then see which one does, does the best. But, you know, we can and we can kind of tell you the differences between them. And that's another thing that I think that we offer that maybe a lot of other review sites don't, which is that we, you know, we really try to give contextual comparisons and really give people actionable advice. Um, I think one of the challenges with one-off reviews, which is, you know, I've done plenty of one-off reviews. We've, we all have. But one of the challenges there is just that, it, you know, information can kind of really feel like it's in a vacuum, especially to the reader. And um, something we discovered, especially during a lot of our own, you know, user testing is that people really feel that, like shoppers feel that. They, they kind of feel like, you know, when they're reading one-off reviews of a single product, they do know that, um, you know, they're probably not getting all the information and they don't always know what the competition is like compared to this product. So I think that's what we try to offer. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's so much to, that you could unpack here, but, but um, uh, you know, the, the way most people shop online, they look for reviews. I think for a lot of consumers, comparing reviews and coming to a decision on which reviews to listen to or to trust is almost as bad as comparing the products themselves. You know, there's a hundred reviews of this, of these 20 products out there 
how do I know which ones to, to, to trust, which ones, um, are really aimed at me? You know, how is that, how are they helping me make a purchase decision? And I think like Jackie said, our, 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 our overwhelming goal, overarching goal is to say, is to make shopping easier for people. And, um, one of the things we say a lot in, in, in documents and in Slack and stuff is, you know, what would you tell your family and friends here? Because I think a lot of us, especially those of us coming from, you know, specialist backgrounds where we reviewed, you know, Apple stuff all the time, every day, we get, you know, it's easy to get caught up in what's different from last year and what the people who are like us are going to be really interested in when a lot of the people aren't right. They just want to know what should I buy? What, what's going to be work for me? Um, one of my favorite parts of every one of our guides is who should buy this. And that is a section. Sometimes it's called who's it for or whatever, but the, the, the general gist of it is this is what this product is. This is who should consider it. This is who probably doesn't need it. And, um, it, it kind of distills a lot of what we're doing into that one section, which is like, you don't really need this. You probably don't want this. Or if you've got these, these tasks you need done, if you want this, this is a good product for you. Um, because as Jackie mentioned, I, um, even though we're a site that sells stuff, I think one of the things that we really pride ourselves on is being able to tell people when they don't need to buy something. Um, but if they do, this is the one you should get. <laughs> I just saw a story, and I can't remember which category it was now, but I think it was last week. And it was literally the story was, you probably don't need anything in this category. <laughs> but <laughs> there are certain circumstances where you might. And if so, then you should get this. But I, I, I love that. That 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 is the fundamental kind of, we're looking out for you. And and you people are saying you might need this, and we don't think you do. That is a, That's a great service, too, to say you don't need to buy anything instead of saying, here, just go ahead and buy this thing. One of my favorite arguments to have as as editor in chief is actually when um, when a topic comes up and someone's like, should we do do a review on this? And then people generally start, you know, laying out the arguments on all sides. And when it comes up, ultimately, that the staff thinks it's like a stupid item or it's an item that like people just shouldn't buy. Um, you know, often I think the natural instinct is that people are like, okay, well, we shouldn't do a guide to that because we're not going to be helpful because it's not a product people should own. But what I like to do is um, push it a little bit. And on some of those things, um, just say like, why don't we publish that and just tell people, you know, nothing here is good. So an example of where we did that was um, air fryers, which was that's the that one that tons- was it. That was it. Yeah. Well, that you know what? The reason why we published that, too, is because tons of readers have been asking us to do a piece on air fryers. So it, it's it's something that we know that readers want, but we just knew it was not a good product. So eventually we were like, you know what? We should actually just publish this and tell readers it's not good. But if you absolutely must, here's one that you can buy. But otherwise, we don't recommend it. And I think people appreciate that because it, it shows that they can trust our editorial judgment. Um, you know, and it's I think it's worth saying our editorial team makes all of our judgments judgments are our own um, without the involvement of the revenue team. So, you know, when we make those picks, we make them regardless of whatever may be happening on the business side. Um, and we do it for the readers. Yeah, we just published one last week about uh, bottle warmers for parents, like, you know, with infants about warming their, their, their baby bottles. And the first sentence is, most parents don't need a bottle warmer. <laughs> and so, like, most reviews don't start out that way. And I, I think that's actually like, one of uh, Jack, who probably agrees here, one of our favorite things is when we can say that and keep people from buying things they don't need. Yeah. yeah. I, I think, you know, one of my personal things is that I hate buying things I don't need. So I guess, you know, that kind of extends out to how we think about our, our readers too. We had a bottle warmer and, uh, I, I read the bottle warmer story and I was like, yes, yes, you don't need one. <laughs> the hot water works because that bottle warmer was a stupid gadget and it was a unitasker. And I still had to stand there and keep checking 
what the temperature was to thaw the milk. And it was like, why am I here? Why, why is this happening? And, uh, so yeah, I like that advice. I will, I will say, um, my family and I went camping for basically the first time this summer and we slept in the wire cutter pick for best tent and our sleeping bag was the wire cutter pick for sleeping bag. And I, you know, my, there, there are so many wire cutter things and sweet home things throughout my house. And I think a lot of people would say that. And I, I think that comes back to a brilliant bit of conception on Brian Lamb's part at the beginning too, which is sometimes you just want somebody who knows to say, go ahead and buy this thing not here's a list of 30 things like we always used to do at the in, in te- the tech world when you do a roundup and it's like here's 80 products and these four have a ho- the highest rating and and to boil it down to this is probably the one you want unless in which case right and um the fact that th- that's such a great idea and i can say that because my house is filled with products that have been purchased by me because of that advice in uh, wire cutter so so thank you both keep it up I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, I, you know, we we always like hearing that from people. But you know, everybody, including you and any readers, um, if you're ever if you want to send us feedback on picks, we welcome it. So um, just uh, just know also that. sometimes it's just fascinating <laughs> to read, uh, even if you're not into a particular topic. I like reading wirecutter reviews because it gives me a window into areas of expertise that I know nothing about, like the knives story about like pocket knives, where it turns out there's this. This whole knife culture that I know nothing about. And it was fascinating to kind of like peer into it from the wire cutter. So yeah, it's uh, it's fun to, to learn about things that you know nothing about too and don't even want to buy. It's just fun. <laughs> All right. Um, we should probably go. Um, before we do, I want to tell people what is happening next week, what to look out for in the week ahead. Microsoft Ignite is next week. So uh, there will definitely be Microsoft news happening. Uh, I'm looking forward to talking with Lisa Schmeiser. Hopefully we'll be back next week to talk about that. And, uh, you know, other stuff's going to happen. Maybe Apple will continue to release products. That seems to be what's happening these days. Just trickling out the products every week. There's more stuff. But uh, that's it for this edition of Download. Jackie Chang, where can people find the stuff that you do? Uh, you can go to, f- for now, thewirecutter.com or on Twitter, um, at ejackie, E-J-A-C-Q-U-I. And Dan Frakes, thewirecutter.com. And uh, Dan Frakes on Twitter. (laughs) I I could do it for you. (laughs) Thank you for being here. Thank you. Also, I noticed this just a little spoiler for people. If you haven't tried it in a while, wirecutter.com actually goes to the wirecutter now. Just saying. Oh, yeah. It's very exciting. For years, that was not the case. But You know, I, I keep forgetting that myself, actually. <laughs> well, I, I've trained myself not to type wirecutter.com, and now I it totally, I just checked it. It totally works, so that's good. Yay. Let's hear it for domain squatting. Anyway, uh, Jackie and Dan, thank you so much for being here. Um, Stephen Hackett, thank you for uh, putting the show together this week. You bet. I'm just, uh, the, the AR kit app did all of it. I, I didn't, <laughs> just just didn't aim, the, aim the phone <laughs> at the show, and it, it solves yeah. itself. It's great. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. All right. I have been your host, Jason Snell. Thank you for listening. Uh, And until next week, we'll be watching the headlines so you don't have to. Bye, everybody. Bye.